All right. Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Jeremy Walker, and I'm the director of Christian Challenge here at USC, and we're excited to have you with us tonight. If you are a parent or family member of a student, welcome. Glad to have you here. Um, so we are continuing a message series entitled The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And uh, before we jump into our next topic on that, um, I had a question for you guys. So here's a slide up here with a question for you guys to discuss. Um, and as you guys think about uh, your upcoming week, um, I want you to discuss with the person next to you uh, for about a minute or two, and I'd love to hear some thoughts you guys have. What is the biggest factor of your success over this next week? As you think about all the things you have to get done, as you think about the to-do list and all that stuff, what is the biggest factor of your success over this next week? So take some minute and talk to the person next to you, and then I'll call us back. All right. All right, let me call us back here. Um, what were some of the factors that came up as you thought about what's kind of the most important factor of the success for your next week? What were some of the things you guys heard? Yeah. Time management. Yes, that is important. Yes. Sleep. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Let God cook. Let God cook. Not sure what that means, but <laughs> sounds really spiritual. Um, yeah. Whether or not you're trusting the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding and all your ways submit to Him. Wow. Okay. Gold star for Justin today. Um, someone was looking ahead. Um, yeah. I mean, all, all those are like legitimate and good factors, and may you have good time management and sleep and. May God cook for you this week. I don't know what that means. Um, but, um, you know, as you think about those, as legitimate as all those are, one of the things I want us to look at tonight, and one of the things I think God wants us to learn from um, the passages tonight, is really that at a head level and at a heart level, and even down throughout our body, the tips of our feet, that we would realize that actually the biggest factor of our success this week, and really any week of our life, is really God himself. I mean, as important as time management is, as important as all those other things are, um, he is really the main factor. And this is one of the main reasons that he's built into a life of following him, the rhythm of Sabbath, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. But before we do, um, a little recap of this series for those of you who haven't been here or those of you that have slept since then. Uh, two weeks ago, Eric kicked us off with talking about the unforced rhythm of beginning to read God's word and begin to meditate on God's word. And then last week, Seth Gatchel um, talked a little bit more about developing the unforced rhythm of prayer. And the premise behind this series and the title for this series, Unforced Rhythm of Grace, uh, comes out of the message translation 
of Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. And this is what Jesus says. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? If so, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now what Jesus is not offering in this invitation, he's not offering a, uh, an extended vacation and just a life of ease, as, as, as great as that sounds. Instead, what he's offering us is a better and less burdensome way to handle the pressures and the things that we go through in life every day and the responsibilities of life and an opportunity to be a part of something much more significant than we're currently a part of. Now, in this translation, which is, you know, a paraphrase, it says, uh, walk with me and work with me. But in translations that are a little more um, word-for-word translations from the Old Testament, like the New American Standard Bible, um, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And of course, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Eric talked about a yoke is something, it's, it's a tool that you would hook up a couple of oxen to or a couple of bulls to, and they would pull a wagon full of stuff or they would pull a plow through a field. So it's a, it's a working device. And so our yoke really kind of represents the, the tool that we use to accomplish and make life happen. You know? And it kind of signifies you know, all the weight that we're pulling with that, however light or however heavy that is. But oftentimes, as you guys know, uh, that, that yoke that we're strapped to, the things we're pulling through life, that feels pretty heavy regardless of how light it actually is because we're pulling it by ourselves. And so what Jesus is offering is this an amazing opportunity. He's offering us the opportunity to get out of our yoke and to step into the yoke that he has, that he's pulling, and we get to be a part of something much more significant and actually a whole lot more impressive, but it feels a lot lighter because he's pulling it with us. We're not pulling it by ourselves. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not offering to get in our yoke with us. He's not giving the invitation, I will get in whatever yoke you're pulling, and I'll pull that for you. That's not what he's offering. What he's offering is an invitation for us to join him in what he's doing, an opportunity to be able to apprentice under him and learn his rhythms of how to live a life that's more significant and yet at the same time less burdensome because we're learning to imitate him, we're learning to work with him, and we're not learning to work by ourselves, but we're learning to work with the grain of how he's designed life and how he's designed us rather than working against it. Now, in order to live this kind of life, one of the things we talked about is we need the grace of God in our lives. And as you study the Bible, and we've talked about grace in various aspects of the last couple weeks, but you know, a good working definition you could have for the grace of God is this. It's God working in your life to do what you could not do by yourself. The grace of God you could define as God working in your life to do what you could not do by yourself. Now, do we need God's grace to be able to be forgiven and to step into God's kingdom and to become a Christian? Yeah, you bet. We need God's grace for that. That's God working in your life to accomplish what you could not do by yourself. But we also need God's grace to allow us to follow him and to obey him once we have stepped into the kingdom. Once we've decided to follow him, we need God's grace to walk with him in everyday life. You know, a person that's really walking with God and a person that is really trying to obey him and really trying to follow his ways, that person burns through more grace on a daily basis than someone who has not decided to follow Jesus and is just living life themselves because the grace of God is God working in your life 
to accomplish what you could not accomplish by yourself. So we need God's grace every day to walk with him. And while God's grace can't be earned, because if it could be earned, it wouldn't be grace. But while it can't be earned, it is something I want you guys to understand. It's something that can be tapped into or it can be avoided. It's kind of like the tanning illustration that Eric talked about a few weeks ago. Um, I'll use myself as an illustration because I am pale and I probably could use a tan. Um, but if I wanted to get a real tan, not at like a tanning salon where I looked like an Oompa Loompa, but like a real tan, um, there's audience participation. How, uh, how would I go about getting that tan? Okay, a real tan. What, what, what would I need to do? Need to lay out? Yeah, that's right. So if after a challenge, <clears throat> I decide to go out to uh, McCarthy Quad or the E-Quad and uh, lay out on uh, a blanket, would I get a tan? No, I wouldn't. Why not? Because the sun's not out. So see, it's not the act of laying out that tans me. It's the sun that tans me. But what if it's in the middle of the day and I decide to stay indoors? Am I going to get a tan? No. So see, even though the act of laying out is not what tans me, it's the sun that tans me. If I don't expose myself to the sun by laying out, I'm not going to get a tan either. And see, it's the same way with the grace of God. We can't change ourselves. We can't follow God without the grace of God. But what we can do is we can live in such a way that we expose ourselves to the grace of God or we can live in such a way that we avoid it. Isaiah 30:18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on him. See, God's natural bent, guys, God's natural bent, his natural disposition towards us is he wants to be gracious to us. He wants to be gracious. He wants to be gracious because he loves us, and that brings him glory. And so his grace and his desire to share his grace with us, that is never the bottleneck. The bottleneck is when we live lives that go against the way he wants to distribute that grace into our lives. But if we'll practice these various rhythms that we've been talking about, and we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead too, as we practice them, those rhythms allow us to step into the stream of God's grace. And these rhythms can act sort of as conduits for us to have that grace flow into our lives. And so this week's rhythm that we're going to talk about is the rhythm of Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which basically just means to stop working. Stop working. Or it can be translated to rest. It's a once-a-week rhythm where God commands us to rest and to stop working for 24 hours. Now, before we talk about the biblical passages, you know, behind this rhythm, just again, as, as a show of hands, um, how many of you could use a little more rest physically or mentally or emotionally this week? Anybody? Yeah? The rest of you just not paying attention? Yeah. I think everybody, right? Like, nobody's like, nah, I'm a little overrested, actually. Um, uh, and the reason is, is because that's just human nature, right? I mean, God knows us. He knows how we're made. He knows how we operate best. So in his kindness and in his wisdom, he gives us the gift of Sabbath to stop and to rest. Where we rest from at least three things. We rest from working. We rest from thinking about working. Those of you type A's, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, I'm not working. I'm just planning about working. And you're like, yeah, stop it. Stop. And then we rest from want and worry. You know, it's that constant desire to get just a little bit more. You know, that, that, and that accompanying worry that comes with that where we feel like we, 
haven't achieved enough or we're falling behind and we're not even really sure what falling behind means, but we're pretty sure we're falling behind. And uh, so we've got to achieve a little bit more and, and do a little bit more. But instead on a Sabbath, what you do is you draw a line in the sand and you say, you know what? For today, I'm good. You know, I don't need to achieve anymore. I don't need to worry and think about the future. That's in God's hands. I am going to stop and I'm going to rest. Now, what happens when we're under-rested and overworked? Well, I mean, you know some of these things. Your stress level goes up. Your health goes down. Your relationships suffer. You begin to get myopic about things that really aren't that important, and you begin to, you know, totally lose sight of the things that are really important. And what's even worse is your deepest desires begin to get really shoved down, and then your shallow desires begin to rise to the surface. And so we choose things like lust over love. Or we choose things like entertainment and distraction over refreshment. Or we choose sugar, I do this one all the time, over food that actually is going to nourish us. Or we choose money and stuff over relationships. Now when we stop and think about that, those outcomes of those kind of choices, that's not that surprising. So the question is, if it's not that surprising, why are we so prone to underrests and overwork? Well, I think some of it has to do with the culture around us that really incentivizes us and kind of entices us to be addicted to things like work and digital and social media. Nothing wrong with work or digital social media, but they can be very addicting and intentionally so. You know, I was a business major in college and I took marketing classes. I used to work in marketing for a number of years before working on Staff with Challenge. And basically, when you boil it down, marketing is really just about, you know, a company making sure their potential clients are discontent with some area of their life so they see why what they are selling is the solution to their problems. And then, of course, you know, you then have to work harder to earn money to buy the thing that's ultimately going to make you really happy, right? And see, and then in addition to that, you know, part of this addiction to work also really stems from us getting our identity too intertwined with what we do. We get our identity too intertwined with what we do in such a way that it starts to become that we define ourselves by what we do. And we say things like, we are what we do. And so if you can achieve it, you can be it. And we find ourselves in this constant pursuit of needing to prove ourselves to ourselves or to other people around us just to validate our value and our identity. However, if you decided to follow Jesus, your identity and value is something that you don't achieve. It's something you receive. Before we ever lifted a finger, if you decided to follow Jesus, you were declared precious. You were declared a child of God before you ever did a thing this morning, even if you woke up at 12 o'clock, you know, which for some of you guys, you're like, guilty. You know, like, probably so, right? And so a Christian's mantra is not, I am what I do. A Christian's mantra is, I am, so I do. And so we operate out of the value and identity prescribed to us, not out of a relentless pursuit to achieve some kind of identity. But really, even beyond all those things, I really think the root of the answer to this question of why we are so prone to underrest and to overwork is really a lack of trust in God. We really don't trust, as we talked about the first question sometimes, that God is really the biggest factor of the success of our week or really of just any week. I mean, yes, he is a factor. Like, you know, that's the right answer. God is a factor. But we really don't think he's the biggest factor. Instead, we think that class 
or that internship or that relationship or that salary or that club, definitely that club, um, or even just, you know, our own abilities is going to be the deciding factor in the success of our week and the success of our life. And so we live with this low-grade fear all the time, this fear of missing out, this fear of falling behind, fear of not mattering, this fear of not making enough or not achieving enough or not doing enough or being enough. Because after all, we are the biggest factor in our success, right? Or is it God? And see, it's this lesson that God was trying to build into the culture of the Israelite people when he first gave them the command of the Sabbath back in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. And this is what he says. He says in Exodus 20, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One of God's top ten commandments to his people was to take a day off. That sounds pretty awesome, right? It's like, hey guys, one of the first things I want you to do, make sure you take a day off. And it's like, now, to our culture today, that sounds pretty amazing. We're like, yeah, that sounds pretty great. Let's, let's take a day off. But see, in the culture of these people that he was talking to, these Israelites, that was a very foreign concept for them. See, these people had been enslaved for hundreds of years, and they were used to working 24-7. So when they hear something like, take a day off, not only is that an incredibly foreign idea, but honestly, that sounds like a dangerous idea. Because they were in a grayer society where they had to, you know, make their food and grow their food day in and day out. They didn't have refrigerators and pantries full of stuff, so if they didn't work, they didn't eat. And so taking a day off once a week was going to require a lot of trust in God that he would provide for them. And that was the point. See, the Sabbath was a command and a gift from God to teach Israelites the same thing then that he wants to teach us today when it comes to taking a Sabbath. And that's this. When you trust God with the rest, you find rest. When you trust God with the rest, you find rest. When you trust God with the rest of the work that needs to be done and the goals that need to be accomplished and the to-do list that need to be marked off and the conversations that need to be had, when you can learn to trust God with the rest of that, you can actually begin to find some rest. God did create us to work and he created us to work hard, but he didn't create us to work all the time. As you see from his explanation for why we should keep the Sabbath in Exodus 20, God has built in the rhythm of rest into the fabric of creation. Said God worked six days and on the seventh day he rested. But it's also interesting that not only did he build it in the fabric of creation, but Sabbath is something that we practice to remind of that we're also called to be free from anything that isn't God. Because 40 years later, after God gave this initial command in Exodus 20, he repeats this command in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, right before the Israelites are about to begin their conquest of the promised land. And the commandment is basically the same, word for word at the beginning, but at the end of the command, he gives a different reason for why we're to observe the Sabbath. So listen to what he says here in Deuteronomy 5. He says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant 
or your ox or your donkey, or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. See, God wants us to remember that we belong to him and we don't belong to anybody else. We're called to be free. We're called to be free from others. We're called to be free from fear. We're called to have freedom from oppressive cultural systems. And we're called even to have freedom from our own desires of more, whether it be more money or more stuff or whatever it may be. So a question you might be asking yourself, as I did, as I was kind of studying this idea of Sabbath and preparing for it, you might have wondered, okay, Jeremy, but as a Christian today, as a follower of Jesus, is this like a requirement that I observe the Sabbath? Like, is this, is this a law? Well, you know, theologians have debated this over the years, and there are good points on each side as to why this still is a requirement or why this isn't a requirement. But what I want us to see tonight is that whether it's a requirement or not really is a mute point because it's still wisdom. It's still wise to build in Sabbath into your week because of all the benefits that it provides. So, for instance, how many of you have heard of the term blue zones before? Anybody? Anybody know what a blue zone is? Okay, a couple of you. Let's see if you're actually right. Maybe you are. Um, so author and explorer Dan Buettner, he describes blue zones as regions in the world where people live longer. Um, and in the United States, one of those blue zones is the community of Loma Linda, California, which is about an hour and a half east of here. Now, the residents in Loma Linda, California, they live 10 years longer than the average person. 10 years. That's a whole decade. And what's interesting is a large population of Seventh-day Adventists live in Loma Linda, California. And while they tend to, yes, eat healthier and exercise, what they attribute as the main factor to their longevity of life is what they call, and I love the way they phrase this, finding a sanctuary in time. This 24-hour Sabbath they practice allow them to take a break from the daily life and the worries and stress of daily life and to focus on their walk with God, to focus on their families, to focus on their relationships, and just to rest. Even in non-religious circles, the wisdom of having a Sabbath has begun to catch on all across our country. I mean, two quick examples, one from the East Coast and one from the West Coast. On the West Coast, just north of us in Silicon Valley, as many of you guys know, is the, the home to many high-tech companies and stuff like that. Um, there are companies that are beginning to incorporate what they call Internet Sabbaths, where they will shut down their devices for a day or even an entire weekend because they see the benefits of it. And then on the East Coast, there was this Yale secular psychologist who conducted what she called a happiness study. And she followed all these different people. And what she found was that people are generally happier who opt for more time and more relationships over more money and more stuff. And what's interesting enough is Sabbath is a built-in rhythm in your life that allows you to intentionally opt for more time and relationships over more money and stuff. Sabbath also allows us to foster contentment and gratitude and really less of a I need more and I deserve more mentality. Sabbath also reminds us that work is, is, is a good thing, but it's not primarily about consumerism. And it's not primarily about careerism as much as USC would like you to think that. But work really is about the contribution that we're making to society and the glory that we're bringing to God by the work that we're doing. 
And Sabbath also really helps us to foster and grow our relationships with God and with others while we are recharging our bodies and recharging our souls and recharging our minds. So even if Sabbath is not a command, one thing is for sure, it's wisdom. And it's a gift from God to us. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, it said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So we should see Sabbath as a joy, not as a burden that we have to do. So for the remainder of our time, I just want to talk a little bit about how do we begin to practice the rhythm of Sabbath in our lives? Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is to carve out a time in your week with the goal of doing two things, recharging and refocusing, recharging and refocusing. Now, the day of the week that you choose really is not the most important thing. For the Jews in the Old Testament, they, their Sabbath was on a Saturday, and then for New Testament Christians and later on, it was a Sunday. So the point is not the day of the week. The point is the habit that you're developing. And while I think the ideal amount of time is a 24-hour Sabbath, as they talk about in the Bible, I wouldn't get hung up on that either. I would begin where you're at. So if that means beginning to carve out a morning, do that. That begins carving out a certain evening to have a Sabbath, we'll do that. Maybe it means carving out a couple hours one day of the week and then carving out a couple hours another day of the week. If that's what you're going to start at, do that and work from there. Now, is it probably, you know, helpful to have the time be the same each week just so there's some consistency? Yeah, probably so. But is that even essential? No. Just begin to build into it where you're at. You know, for me, um, don't do it the way I did it. I was dumb. And, uh, you know, for the first 33 to 34 years of my life, um, I really didn't practice Sabbath. And I didn't practice it, I think, for a variety of reasons. I think I thought, uh, one, I didn't fully understand it. And two, I just, I think, was just a lack of trust. Um, but over the last four years, as I've begun to incorporate the idea of Sabbath into my life, it is something that, God willing, I will never go back and not do. Like, it's just something I realized, wow, this is really essential. I really need this in my life. But each semester and season of my life, how I practice Sabbath and when I practice Sabbath, that looks a little bit different. So feel free in your own life to adjust it from season to season. But one thing is for sure, it's got to get in your schedule. Because we say in challenge, if it doesn't get in your schedule, it won't get in your life. And that's true with just about anything. Um, now, after you've picked the time to Sabbath, I'd encourage you, again, to use that time primarily to do two things, to recharge and to refocus. Now, when it comes to recharging, there's probably going to be at least three different kinds of recharging you might want to do. You might do one, you might do two, you might do all three of these. It really depends on how depleted you are from the previous week and the what kind of depletion you have, what needs to be recharged. Now, the first and most obvious kind of recharging is physical recharging. Man, that font is really small, huh? Like, um, now, here the solution uh, to physical recharging is, is obviously it's rest. You may want to take a nap or maybe you just want to Lay on the couch and just relax for a bit. You know, rest your body. Or maybe you want to go to the beach and just stare at the waves and eventually just fall asleep. You know, put some sunscreen on before. Otherwise, you'll, you'll turn red. Um, but the, the goal is you want to just rest. Now, I have uh, three kids. Um, I have an eight-year-old who's here tonight with my wife, Katie, um, Corey Beth. And I have a six-year-old son and I have a three-year-old little girl and um, the ironic thing is um, when they were younger and they had to take naps. Now, our, our youngest is the only one that really takes much naps now anyway. But when they were all younger and they had to take naps, 
they would cry and throw a big fit because they had to take a nap. And yet, ironically, I see adults today cry and throw a big fit because they don't get to take a nap, <laughs> you know? And what you find is it's actually a sign of immaturity, not maturity, when you're unwilling to rest when you need to rest. It's not a sign of maturity to not rest when you need to rest. It's actually a sign of immaturity. Those who are mature and really trust God with their life, they look forward to the Sabbath and they actually delight in it. And those who don't trust God find the Sabbath, like I did for many years, kind of irritating and something to avoid. So taking time to physically recharge by resting is, is a wise idea. And then the second kind of recharging you might need to do is emotional recharging. And here, oftentimes, the solution is relationships. Now, again, ironically, the thing that probably has drained you emotionally throughout the week is people. So you think, why would I want to be around more people? Well, there are certain kinds of people that actually are really going to refresh you and recharge you. Now, granted, throughout the week, we have to relate with and love and be around all kinds of people, including people that suck the life out of us. But on your Sabbath, avoid those people. And I would encourage you, on your Sabbath, one day a week or one evening a week or whatever it is, take time to intentionally get around people who know you and care about you and refresh you and are not going to drain you, but what are going to bring life to you. That'll really be helpful. And then the third kind of recharging you might need to do is creative recharging. And here the solution is often recreation. You know, when you're reading textbooks or when you're writing papers or you're doing group projects and all that kind of stuff throughout the week, your creative battery can often be pretty drained or maybe just near untapped altogether. I know, I don't even think my creative battery was touched when I was doing any of my finance classes. I was like so bored, but I did them anyway. Um, so you need to take time in your week to recharge and even actually use your creative battery. Now, recreation is more than simply just having fun, although it ought to be fun. But it's doing things that really engage your mind in a different way than your work engages it. So for instance, while TV and video games are fun, they're not actually an activity that's really going to stimulate your mind and recharge your creative battery. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching some TV and playing some video games. I mean, on our Sabbath, one of the rhythms that we've developed with our kids at their age is like in the evening time, we watch a movie. And that's kind of a weekly thing. That's our family movie night is during part of our Sabbath time. But I guarantee you, at the end of that movie, at the end of that video game, you are not going to be any more creatively recharged. I can guarantee you. It might be a fun physical rest activity, but you're not going to be more recharged. So I would encourage you, trial and error and begin to figure out what are different recreation activities that really recharge your creative battery. You know, for some of you, maybe it's going on a, on a long walk or going on a hike. For others of you, maybe it's going on a bike ride. Or if you're more artistically inclined, you know, uh, maybe just drawing or, or painting is something. I know my, my wife and, uh, and my daughter, they love to draw and paint. Like, that just doesn't do it for me. But I'm glad they like to do that, you know. For me, um, lately, just being able to sit down and ice my back and... Uh, <laughs> And have about an hour of uninterrupted time where I can just think and mull over books by like Dallas Willard or other guys like that and just get the creative juices flowing and have thoughts firing. That just recharges my creative battery a whole lot more than any of those other activities currently. So for you, figure out what recreation activities really begin to recharge your creative battery. And then the second thing I'd encourage you to do on your Sabbath time, in addition to recharging, is taking time to refocus. 
taking time to refocus. Now, if you are going to refocus, let me tell you, one thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to slow down, like a lot. Now, we live at such a fast pace, you know, frenetic pace throughout the week that oftentimes we carry that same pace into our Sabbath today, and, and I'm guilty of this too, and I'm just telling you ahead of time, that's a recipe for frustration. Like if you're like, I need to refocus, I need to refocus now, you know, or I need to rest, I need to rest now. And it's like, no, no, <sighs> dial it back, you know, relax, take a chill pill. Because see, throughout the week, what's very normal and very common is, you know, uh, our perspective begins to shift. It begins to get a little twisted. It begins to get a little off, whether it's in relation to our relationships, whether it's in relation to our work, relation to God or any number of things, and we begin to get off course. And what I'm prone to do, and I think some of you guys are prone to do too, is when you begin to realize you're losing traction in an area, when you begin to realize you're off course, you double your efforts. The only problem is when you double your efforts, you're just getting lost twice as fast if you're still off course. So what you need to do is you need to slow down. You need to figure out, how do I need to begin to refocus? You don't want the mantra, okay, we may be lost, but at least we're making great time. You know, it's like, you're still lost, you know. Figure out what you need to do to refocus. So what does that look like practically for me? Practically for me, I think what that looks like is taking some unhurried, extended time to do one or more of three things. Read the Bible, pray, and have some think time. Now, as Eric talked about a couple weeks ago, it's a good habit to build, you know, regularly reading and meditating on the scriptures on a daily basis. But it's also really helpful to build in some time where you have some extended time, maybe about once a week, where you get to review notes from your quiet times or you get to study a particular passage or a topic that you're wanting to learn more about. You know, maybe for some of you think, man, I really want to learn how to guard my thoughts. And so I'm going to take some time, some extended time on Sabbath, and I'm going to study that topic. Or maybe I want to really learn how to handle my mouth. Some of you guys should take that topic up and learn how to handle your mouth uh, and, and study some different passages related to that on your Sabbath. And while this allows you to get to know God even better in those extended times, because, yes, the small times throughout the week and your quiet time, those are good, but sometimes that extended time is really helpful. It's kind of the difference between, you know, my wife and I, if, if um, we see each other, obviously, throughout the week, we live together, and, um, and, we see, and we, we'll, we'll touch base in the mornings and the evening and stuff like that and different things, but it's not for very long extended periods of time because we're both busy and we have three kids. You know, so being able to occasionally have, in addition to those small increments of time throughout the week, have like a longer Saturday afternoon date really does a lot for the relationship. Which, by the way, that hasn't happened in a while, so if anyone wants to babysit, I'm taking applications afterwards. Um, but, and it's the same way with God, you know, those small incremental times throughout the week in our quiet time is really helpful, but sometimes that extended time with him in the Word can really do a lot for the relationship. And then another activity that's really helpful to refocus on the Sabbath, is to have some extended time to pray. You know, I don't know about you too, but as I go throughout any given week, I mean, there are things that are in my control, there are things that are out of my control, that are things that are I'm really encouraged about, there are things I'm really discouraged about, and, and, and everything in between. And while I try to talk to God about those in the moment as I go throughout the week, sometimes it's really helpful on a Sabbath time to have an extended time where I just get to go on a walk and I get to talk to God about all the different things that went on throughout my week and the things that I have coming up in the week ahead. Um, and whether it's slowing down just to thank him for what's happened, so I really 
foster a heart of gratitude. Or maybe it's taking some time, some extended time to pray just to really ask him for wisdom or ask him for help for something going on in my life or in the life of someone I know and care about. Or maybe it's just going on a walk and just really just enjoying his presence with no one else talking other than just him and me. And I find myself, as I, as I do this, beginning to regain my focus and recentering on God and his ways for my life. And I find myself less pulled in becoming a victim of the tyranny of the urgent, the things that are just the squeaky wheel that's trying to get my attention all the time throughout the week. Instead, I'm able to focus on, okay, what does God want me to be focused on? And then the final activity I'd encourage you to take some time for on your Sabbath to really help um, you to kind of refocus on what's important. And this is kind of connected to prayer, is beginning to have some built-in think time. I am convinced that most every single person is severely behind on their think time. And I know this because I'm behind on my think time, and I think I'm normal. Um, no, but actually I really do. As the more I talk to people, I really do think most of you are really behind on your think time. So much so that you don't even really need that you have know that you need think time. Because when you get backlog on think time, some of the things that tend to happen is you become less effective. You become more easily distracted. And honestly, I think this is true of me, I think it's true of people. you just become more irritable. And because, and the reason is your mind is like a computer where you begin to have all these tabs open and you're, you're, the RAM can't handle it. And so you're just operating at a slower and slower pace. And so one more thing, just blue screen, you know, and you're, I mean, it's, it's a screen of death, you know, you're, you wear out. And so you need to take time to slow down and begin to evaluate, have some built-in think time to think about things that are important in areas of your life. For instance, Taking time to slow down and think about, like, how am I doing as a student? You know, I'm actually going to class. Am I doing my work? You know, how can I work on that? How am I doing as a roommate? Taking the time to mull over that. How am I growing in my walk with God? How am I doing in having a ministry to other people? You know, how am I doing in taking care of my health and other responsibilities? And taking the time to give some unhurried think time to those different areas and then beginning to ask the question, okay, God, what would the next step look like to begin to better handle that area of my life and more in line with your ways? And then all these things, you know, just figuring out what that looks like, but giving some think time to it. So depending on how you're feeling drained or depending on how you're feeling like you're losing focus throughout your week, I would encourage you to begin to implement on your Sabbath some of these various recharging and refocusing activities. You know, building into our lives the rhythm of Sabbath, while I would have said years ago that the main issue is an issue of time, it's really not. It's an issue of trust. We either trust ourselves to really handle our lives or we really trust God. And if we trust ourselves, chances are we're going to find ourselves often overworked to the point of sheer exhaustion and possibly to an early death. <laughs> but if we choose to trust God, and handle things his way, I think what you'll find is you will have a more productive and healthy six days of work than you will have a depleted seven days of work. But you have to trust God with the rest. And when you trust God with the rest, you can actually find some rest. So I would encourage you, begin to build into your life the rhythm of Sabbath. Let me pray for us, and then we'll invite the band back up. Father, <clears throat> 
thank you for being very patient with slow children like myself that uh, took the better part of three and a half decades to figure out why something that you say so clearly is helpful in the scriptures is helpful. And God, I pray that that would not be the learning curve for the rest of the people in this room, that they would um, trust you, that they would begin to, where they're at, whether it's a few hours a week or a whole day, begin to build into the rhythm of their life the wise gift of Sabbath that you give us. And I pray that they would begin to experience refreshment and recharging and refocusing in their lives, and that that would just fuel them to better and more effectively follow you and walk with you in the remaining six days of their week. And God, I pray that when we're anxious and worried on the Sabbath day, as I still often am with all the things that need to be done or are upcoming, I pray that, God, that you would, your peace, which surpasses all understanding, would really guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus, and they would really be able to trust you with the rest and really be able to find rest. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.